0: RAC's post podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. Although she's proud to call Australia home and wouldn't want to live anywhere else, orthopaedic surgeon Associate Professor Claudia DiBella still keeps a very close eye on events in Italy, the country where she was born. A few months ago, when Italy's health workers were overwhelmed with COVID-19 cases but lacked personal protective equipment, Claudia acted to ensure Australia's own health workers didn't fall short of face masks. In April, her team at BioFab 3D created and shared a simple 3D face shield design. Groups around Australia soon printed hundreds of those shields for the medical community. Her 3D laboratory, located within St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne, is Australia's first hospital-based biofabrication lab. Claudia explains shortly how its cartilage project aims to build biological structures with the use of stem cells printed within a gelatinous scaffold and then cultured in 3D. First, Claudia takes Chris Ashmore back to Italy and her interest in studying at the prestigious Rizzoli Orthopaedic Institute in Bologna.
1: Well, I was an athlete when I was young, another life. I was a professional water polo player. So for me, everything that was related to trauma or sport injuries was interesting. And that's why orthopedics was the top of my choices for surgery. I always knew that I was going to become a surgeon and then just fell in love with orthopedics and more specifically then with orthopedic oncology, which is the subspecialty that I do now. Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. And you always had your sights set on the Rizzoli. I mean, that's quite special, isn't
1: it? Well, it is. So the Rizzoli is an orthopaedic-only hospital. It's the size of one of our hospitals here in Melbourne, but it's only orthopaedic. So each ward is, for example, shoulder surgery, foot Mm. surgery, hip. So it's very specialistic. And he's one of the most renowned orthopedic institute in Europe. So for me that, you know, I was born in Catania and I started medicine in Catania, for me that it's only once I decided I wanted to do orthopedics was really the goal because that's where, you know, you can get the best possible training in orthopedics. So mm. that's why I moved to Bologna from Sicily to do orthopedics there.
2: And you were there for about 10 years. That's
1: right. Yeah.
2: You started your PhD there.
1: That's correct. So I graduated, finished my orthopaedic training, and then I started doing PhD. And I did half PhD in Bologna and the other half here in Melbourne. But the PhD in the end was awarded by the University of Bologna. Mm
2: -hmm. That's right. So why leave such a beautiful place and such a prestigious place to Melbourne, to Australia?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I don't really know. So for me, like for a lot of Italians, Australia is this beautiful, exotic place that you really just want to go and explore. <laughs> I think it's similar. There's a commun love. Even Australians, if you talk about Italy, for Australians, like, oh, wow, I can't wait. I really want to go there and visit. So for me, it was at the beginning, it was I really want to go and visit. So I did a period of six months of fellowship here as a research because I always did some research during my training in orthopedics. And that was during my, either the fourth, half of the fourth and the fifth year of training in orthopedics. And I absolutely fell in love with Melbourne. It wasn't necessarily Australia, it was actually Melbourne. I didn't speak English at the time. So I learned English, I learned about the culture here. I love the multicultural culture here in Melbourne. And for me, it was absolutely love, at first time. So once I had to go back, obviously, I finished my training, I started my PhD, and I tried everything that I could do to come back because I just loved it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A
2: lot of Italians here too.
1: Oh, absolutely. But I didn't want to hang out with Italians <laughs> because otherwise you just speak Italian and you keep living your normal life. So I really wanted to embrace the Australian lifestyle. Also, it helped that it was summer when I arrived here. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it was absolutely beautiful. Going around, you know, the beaches, it just everything was so nature in full, full swing. That was absolutely beautiful.
2: Absolutely. And tell us about your PhD. What did you complete it in?
1: So the PhD is in oncology and experimental pathology. Because I am an orthopedic surgeon with a subspecialization in oncology, that was obviously related to that. And also the experimental pathology is the kind of research that I do is about tissue engineering and regeneration in orthopedics and oncology. And that's why it was fitting perfectly with what I did at the time and what I still do um, even now. Mm -hmm.
2: Now, this year you received an Australian Government National Health and Medical Research Investigator Grant. I understand it's quite difficult to receive one, but you did. So congratulations. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah. So this is the NHMRC, the most sought after research grant in Australia you can think of. So it's a, a government fund that are given to the highest quality kind of research that is done in Australia. It's all about medical research, but it's research in every sort of field. So it's not only orthopedics, but there will be mental health, there will be cardiac, there will be diabetes, everything. So obviously, very, very competitive. The success rate goes between 9 and 14%. Wow. So it's extremely rare to get one. I've tried for the past five years. I was almost ready to give up, but finally this year I got my one. And it's a recognition really of the quality of your work. Having said that though, you know, even if you don't get one, you still most likely are doing a very good quality work. It's just that the funds are limited and the amount of people that are trying for that. The other important thing is that you need to fund your own research. That's across the board for everyone that does research. So it's something that this kind of research grants They really help your team. So I employ researchers and we need to pay for everything for our research. And it's all thanks to this kind of research grants. So without that, it's really hard to keep on going with good quality research.
2: Well, the the research that you're doing these days is with BioFab 3D. What is that? What do you do and who is involved?
1: Yeah, so the BioFab 3D is a facility, is a biofabrication hub that is actually here at St. Vincent's Hospital. is a biofabrication hub within the hospital that is driven by clinicians. So what that means is that a clinician, like in my case, orthopedic surgeon, We come with a problem, we know the background of the problem and why this has not been able to be solved until now. And then in the biofab, we have experts on all other disciplines, such as, for example, biologists, we have bioengineers, we have biomaterialists, we have biomechanical engineers, all sorts of, it's a real multidisciplinary approach to the problem. So it's not really research for research, it's actually a research that starts with a clinical problem and then everything turns around that clinical problem to find a meaningful solution that then can be put back into application into the clinic. The main work of this lab is bioprinting. So it's 3D printing and bioprinting, meaning 3D printing of cells, of live cells, for the regeneration of body parts, organs, bone, cartilage in their own entity and the way they're supposed to work in the body.
2: Well, how then is BioFab3D's procedure different from, say, the traditional way of stem cell transplant procedures? So
1: it's very different. When you talk about stem cells injection or transplantation, it's simply getting some cells from your body and injecting them back in the body without any support, without any structure where these cells then can do their job. So really the way they act in that is as anti-inflammatories or they recruit other cells. The biofabrication, the bioprinting, bioengineering is instead when you put these cells within a scaffold or within a, a structure that then tells these cells exactly what they need to do in that particular moment in time. So for example, for the cartilage that we do, We put them in a gel that already has some properties that make these cells understand, oh, we are in the cartilage, we need to make cartilage. So these cells are not just anti-inflammatories, but then they really are able to transform and become what we want them to become. And this goes across the board because these cells can become cartilage, bone, fat, muscle. They can become anything if they're put in the correct environment, which has to be given or has to be provided to them. And that's the difference, the significant difference between uh, bioengineering and injections of stem cells.
2: And it's better for the patient.
1: Oh yeah, well, absolutely. It's something that is very, in orthopedics, we call it orthobiologic. So obviously it's something that you use, something that comes from yourself to put it back in your own body, which obviously helps on regenerating and recreating your own body. So So, the other important thing of the bioengineering and biofabrication is that you actually use a scaffold that then would sort of disappear in time and will be replaced by that tissue that you want to recreate. So you basically regenerate the tissue that you want and it's all natural and in theory should last for as long as you last mm-hmm. rather than metal or other kind of synthetic implants.
2: You're about to start clinical trials on this?
1: Yes, that's correct. So we have done all the pre-clinical experiments so far, so both in the lab as in vitro, in the lab as ex vivo, and now we're finalising the in vivo ones, which means in the preclinical animal model. And so far, we know that what our approach is superior to what is currently done in clinic or in surgery at the moment. So the next step is obviously the clinical trial. And we will start with a phase one, phase two clinical trial, which means small numbers of patients with very strict inclusion criteria to make sure that our approach is really working in the human body for then move on into the larger scale application. What's the
2: end goal? Is it to implement this kind of technology across the world?
1: Well, no, the end goal, obviously, yes, we would love for this approach to be used across the globe, which is something that every everyone is trying to do anyway. And basically what we want to do is, limited to the orthopaedic world at the moment, what I'm talking about is, to decrease the number of people that will need a joint replacement in the future. The number of joint replacement is increasing by two, 300 percent every five years. And that's because obviously population is getting older and we are more active. We feel better even in our 70s and 80s. So we want to do more things. So obviously we're increasing the number of joint replacement, which are one, very expensive, Two, then there are possible risks and complications with this approach. So with our approach, what we want to do is we want to decrease this number by preventing the need of a joint replacement in people that are young and had an injury that we know will make them have joint arthritis when they're in their 40s and 50s, when they're still quite active and productive. So this is the goal for this specific application in the cartilage. When we talk about instead a goal more broadly on what bioengineering can really mean for every other organ and tissue, then we talk about a very, very big topic because really, potentially, we now have the technology to start thinking big and start thinking on how to regenerate organs as well as tissues that are working just the same way as they work in the body.
2: Wow. I'd imagine professional sports players and sports organizations will be particularly interested
1: in this. Absolutely. And in fact, this approach would be perfect for AFL players that, for example, have a cartilage injury after a tackle or something, and then they can't keep playing or they really have arthritis in their 30s or forty. And that's these are the kind of patients that we'll target at the very beginning of our clinical trials. Mm. Well, you've
2: been busy, obviously, with that and everything else, but you've also designed a 3D face shield prototype. How did that idea come about?
1: That was funny. Well, I'm Italian, as you know. I have a lot of Italian friends and COVID was really, really bad at that time in Italy. And I remember seeing a few photos of some of the Italian workers with face shields and knowing that obviously we can print very, very quickly, very easily a number of things in plastic. Then I simply tweeted to the head of the biofab, so the lab manager of the biofab and said, oh, can we do anything like this? And literally after two days, we had a few prototypes ready to be trialed And because this is such a a frontline lab, we had a few different doctors and surgeons coming in that tried them on and gave a few ideas back and forth. And really the beautiful thing is that the whole bioengineering community actually came together so we could share, as a free share uh, of designs between different universities across Australia, these designs that now are very, very easy to print and in the end it takes no time, very, very cheap. And it it was a fun thing, not... I wouldn't say fun. It was a good thing to do. And also for the researchers at that time, that they couldn't even come here to do their work was a way of feeling really useful and really like they were giving their bit to the community on this fight that we were all fighting. So, and we still are. And we just distributed them to hospital personnel, nursing staff, admin staff, GPs. I sent a few to a lot of the GPs around simply as a as an extra protection. It's nothing major, but it's a very simple device that literally costs 50 cents. Mm. So it was all given for free to everyone that sees patients on a daily basis.
2: Mm. Necessity is the mother of invention. That as, is as very true, very true. <laughs> Claudia, you're now an Australian citizen and you've been calling Melbourne your home. Will that continue? Do you have plans to go back? What's the story of your future?
1: Well, Melbourne is home, no doubt. I have my family here. So I see my future here in Australia and in Melbourne. I always go back. I like to go back to Italy. I have family in Italy. I have very close friends there. So I used to go there at least once a year, if possible. Now, obviously, there's been a little bit of pushback from that, given the situation. But my home is here. And obviously, for the future, all I see is my family and, you know, seeing my kids growing here in Melbourne.
0: Associate Professor Claudia Zabella. RAC's Post-Op Podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.